have, uh, if you have wrestled on a sports team for even one day, or for maybe you are the district, state, champ, whatever. If you have wrestled, and I don't care what your age is, I don't care if you're 97 and you wrestled in your day, I want you just to, to stand up real quick. I want to see who the wrestlers are. Some of you are looking at me like, oh, wow, there's five of them. Whoa, it took a little bit to get up there, Kevin. Wow, like, I, I, didn't, I, I did not know this many were going to be up. So here's my, and just stay standing. So here's my question. How long does a wrestling match uh, go? How long are you out on the mat? Six minutes. Does that change at all when you're younger to older? Is it always six minutes, or what's this, what is it when you start? Two, one, one, okay. So when you're younger, it's a little bit less, but when, when you're up onto this level, it's six minutes. Okay, very good. That's all you had to do. Go ahead and grab a seat. Thanks. If anybody needs to help Kevin. <laughs> Bill, you might need to talk to Kevin now. I'm just kidding. And so wrestling, yeah, I, I, I didn't realize we had that many wrestlers, which is a, a wonderful thing. But uh, yeah, those six minutes out in the mat feels like eternity, doesn't it? And so what is it about wrestling? Wrestling is about control, right? You want to end the match on top and with your hand raised in victory. And I'm sure if we were to ask, you know, almost every one of us as a child, you know, wants to wrestle on the living room floor with their dad. Definitely all the boys. I'm sure some of the girls uh, would like to have done that. Um, I keep hearing Rudy tell me, his daughter, that's all they want to do is wrestle their dad. And so some girls do. I asked Sarah and she's like, I've never wanted to wrestle a day in my life, so, so it's not for everyone. But what is it? When you're little, you, you, you want to measure up. You want to you see what your limits are. You want to see, you know, I'm going to get my dad this time. And so there's a physical aspect of wrestling, and our story today shows that God, God is a wrestler, physically speaking. He is a wrestler. But what we're going to see is that he didn't wrestle someone for six minutes. That's peanut stuff. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say it like that because I know you're all going to storm me afterwards. But in God's wrestling match, it went way, way, way longer than six minutes. And so as we, uh, if you have your Bible, turn to uh, Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. And so we're going to look at this story of God, you know, your heading probably, say, probably says Jacob wrestles with God. The truth is, God is really wrestling with Jacob. Um, and so uh, we see that. So as you're turning there, you know, one of the things I think is important is that we can have this tendency to read something in the Bible and then we kind of just go right to applying it to our life. And, and there's times that, you know what, we misapply things. And so I think as we're reading through Genesis, we need to understand that we don't just take and, hey, this is about wrestling. And so, I mean, I'm sure you've probably seen, like, you have all these things that people talk about wrestling from this passage. But what is God doing? There's always a bigger, greater plan that we need to understand what God is doing before we simply go and say, well, how, what does this mean for my life? And so what is God doing here? God made a promise the day Adam and Eve sinned. 
And that was that the woman would have a child that would crush the head of the serpent. That was from day one. And so God's Messiah or God's Savior would be born from a woman. And so then God makes a covenant or a promise with Abraham and Sarah, this couple that's 75 years old, and they're childless, and God says, I'm going to make a nation out of you, which is, what are you talking about, God? We can't even have one child. But God made the promise. God made the covenant. It rests on his shoulders. And so for the next 25 years, he repeated it over and over. And then all of a sudden, eh, that's not a good cry. Isaac, or um, uh, uh, who do they have? They have Isaac. Isaac is born. And so then fast forward, Isaac gets married and has twins. What's the name of his twins? Jacob and Esau. Two twins. And God said the younger would serve, or the older would serve the younger. See, that's not naturally speaking, it's the firstborn. But one of the things God is making very clear, his plan is whose plan? His plan. He's going to determine how it's going to unfold. And so Jacob's life, and even you know, as we touch down to Jacob, and again, we're only going to have one day here to look at Jacob. And so as we think of Jacob's life, he was the younger brother. But, and even in the womb, he was agitating his brother. He was grabbing onto his brother's you know, little foot. And so we see this, this wrestling match between these two brothers. And Jacob was kind of like the used car salesman with the big fat tie, you know, it's like, hey, I'll sell you a car. And, and so that image is what? They just want to get the sale, but they're not really being truthful with us. That was Jacob. He was a liar. He was, this, this, he was a deceiver. And he lived his life on saying what he needed to get by. He was a con man. And so what did he do? He, he conned his brother out of uh, the blessing. He, he conned his brother out of the birthright. And his brother wanted to kill him. And so what did he do? He fled. And he left for 20, over 20 years. Instead of staying and working through his issues with his brother, he fled. And so what happens? And again, Jacob is not really a man of faith at all at this point in his life. And so he goes to his uncle's house. His uncle is Laban. And again, you can go back and read the particulars of the story. And, um, but God is in his circumstances. And, and so what does God do? God, God allows him to come into Laban's house. And, and, and he sees Laban's daughter, uh, who is Rachel, and says, wow, I want to marry her. And he's willing to work for Laban for how many years? Seven years. Because he loved this woman so much, and he does it. He works for seven years. And then what happens on his wedding night? Laban, who is a trickster as well, a deceiver and a liar, and again, I, I don't know how all this happened, but at the last minute, he has an older daughter, Leah. 
that he swaps on Jacob. And instead of Rachel going in on his wedding night, Leah goes in on his wedding night. And he comes out on the other side and says, whoa, Laban, what are you doing here? And so what does Laban say? I'll let you have Rachel if you give me seven more years. And so often what God does, God uses another liar to put us in the place of we feel what it feels like to be lied to. And that's what we see in Jacob's life. Jacob is being tricked. And God is in the process of not abandoning him, but he continues to pursue him. And so what we see in this story here is that one of the things that God must do in Jacob's life, and it's also true for all of us, is that God must remove our self-sufficiency in order to use us. God must remove our self-sufficiency in order to use us. Let me read down through the story, and that's basically what's happening here. And so uh, starting at verse 22, it says, That same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them, and he sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had. So Jacob, is, his, he's heading back to see his family and his brother um, in Palestine, in, in Canaan. So verse 24, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. There you go. Six minutes is more like six hours. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. I'm going to stop there. And so what do we see here? We see that Jacob is by himself, away from his family, and alone. And we don't know what he's doing, but what we know is what God is doing. And we're not even told his name, but we're just told that there is a man there. Look down in verse 22. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. This man initiates the wrestling match. And it's physical. Now, we know that this man isn't just a man. God has demonstrated all through the book of Genesis that he, the living God of the universe, at times comes down. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is God the Son somehow showing up. We don't know how, but he's God, so he can take care of it. He shows up in the dark, and he wrestles with Jacob all night long. Now, Jacob is a fighter. I don't mean literally. I mean, you know, he spent his whole life lying and cheating and stealing and trying to get things, and he's a fighter. And so what is God doing here? 
God initiates a wrestling match with Jacob. And as they're wrestling, God, looking down at verse 25, when the man saw that he, could not, that he did not prevail against Jacob, what does he do? He touches his physical body. He touches his hip. He wounds him for the rest of his life. He would never walk normally again. What is God doing? See, God was getting to Jacob's heart through his body. He was getting to his heart. That's what God wants more than anything. He wants our heart. And often, a lot of times, he gets to our heart through our bodies, through things in this life, and through what we're going through, and whatever that might look like. And obviously, Christ could have defeated Jacob his own way, but he chose this way, to touch his hip, and to make it go out of socket. And so what was God doing here? God was demonstrating that he was the one who was in control of Jacob's life. Not Jacob. I'm in control. Will you surrender to me? Will you submit to me? Will you follow me? Will you do it my way instead of your way? Your way doesn't work too well. And that's what we see here. And then we have in verse 28, God does something significant as well. Verse 28, it says, Then he said to him, Your name shall no, lo no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. See, God changes his name. Jacob, uh, or Israel, means to strive with God. Or another translation could be wrestling with God. And, and you know, when you look at the nation of Israel, have they wrestled with God? Uh-huh. Pretty significantly. But it started here with Jacob as God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. Because what he was saying is, now you're going to start wrestling with me. Now you're going to start walking in my ways. Now you're going to start seeing things from my vantage point. Verse 28, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and man, and you have prevailed. He has finished. He didn't give up. And so what happens in the wrestling match? What, what does he say to God in this wrestling match? Verse 29, then he asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? Actually, earlier, he wouldn't let go because he wanted God to bless him. And we're told here in the, the last part of verse 29, and there he blessed him. So I've been asking the question, well, what did that look like? What did that mean that he blessed him? You know, we typically look at that and we think, well, he gave him money. Money is blessing, right? Well, that's a very narrow focus. But I think what we see, God's blessing is right in the passage. His blessing was that he changed his name. He changed his identity. He went from Jacob, who was a deceiver, to now the one who will wrestle with God. He changed his identity. That was the blessing that he would have. But what he also did, um, you know, the blessing also is what Jacob says next. Look at verse 30. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. 
saying, For I have seen the face of God, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And so part of the blessing was a new name and a new identity, but also part of the blessing was that he saw God now in a new way, in a real way, and it changed his life. As we said at the beginning, God must remove our self-sufficiency in order to use us. And that's what we see God doing in Jacob's life. And for the rest of his life, he would walk with a limp. Everybody would see and know, what's wrong with him? Well, he got in a wrestling match with God. But Jacob would be reminded every step that he took that God was the leader of his life. God was the one that would do and take him places. And so this is a significant event in his life, but you're going to see if you keep reading, I mean, God changes Jacob here, but it's not over, okay? He doesn't get it all together in this one wrestling match. Now he's righteous now. He does it right all the time. It doesn't happen. We're going to see over the next two weeks as we look at uh, Joseph. We're going to end the last two weeks in Genesis um, uh, on Joseph, uh, one of his sons. But what do we see here? And I think it's even for us. You know, I, as I reflect over being in vocational ministry over the last more than 25 years, as I look back in those beginning years, yes, I was pursuing God. Yes, I wanted God to work. But there was more of Steve Cornball in that ministry than what needed to be there. That God had to remove more and more of me. And he's not done. You know that. I know that. We all know that. So God didn't give me a limp, but one of the things that God did use in the seasons, and I don't think he's done, but God has used my emotions. The weakness of emotions. Seasons of discouragement, sadness, depression. Seasons. God's saying, you know what? You might not feel me today. I'm still here. I don't, need, I, I don't need you to feel me for me to be present. And being a pastor that you still have to get up and preach when you feel like you didn't hear from God, it takes faith and obedience. And because I don't want to lose my job, so I have a little... That's there too, you know. But the point here is that for all of us, God has to remove our self-sufficiency. And so my question to you is, what, do you, what in your life are you fighting for control of? What is it right now that you're wrestling with God or you don't want to give up control? Because in a, in a sense, you really look and you say, God, I... I don't, know that, I don't know that you know what's best for me. That sounds ridiculous to say that out loud, but yet we, and we all believe that. We all have places and ways in our life that we really believe that. But God is patient and he is gracious. Just like Jacob for, for 20 years, 
he allowed him to keep walking the way he was walking. But God was always in control. I ask, my, I ask us as a, a church, Zion. You know, God wants us to wrestle with us individually, but God also wants to grow us as a church. Zion, what, what are we fighting God for control of as a church? It's not a simple answer. I think I'm asking us to Ask God the question. Spend, spend time prayerfully thinking about that. Do we really want to know? Do we want to know where we're still being self-sufficient? Because if God shows us, then we've got to do something about it, then that's pretty uncomfortable. But are we willing to do that? I'm going to end with uh, this one last passage that I think uh, from 2 Corinthians. It's familiar to you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. That's not the right passage. I put the wrong passage in there. Zach, I messed you up. <laughs> Let me read. I'm like, that's not the passage. I, it's 2 Corinthians 12. Let me just read it to you. But he's and worship team can come on up here. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. Zion, do we boast in our weaknesses? Because it's only when we boast in our weaknesses that we can really see God's power and God's strength and God's ability. It's the only way we can do that. Why don't you go ahead and stand up and we're going to sing a couple songs here.